As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Instead of taking up that gym membership that you wouldn't use even if the gyms were open, how's about subscribing to The Athletic for just £4 a month? You'll get unrivaled football coverage with analysis and in-depth features from the very best writers around, exclusive Q&As with Athletic staff, and ad-free versions of all The Athletic's podcasts, including this one. Find out more and sign up today at theathletic.com forward slash league show. John Yems, that's it. That's the intro. This is the Totally Football League Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. Thanks for dropping in on our weekly EFL Natter. We will, of course, get to the Football League action, but we had to put Yemo at the top there, even though his Crawley were in FA Cup rather than League action. Fabulous win against Leeds, John. Is that one in the eye for your critics on this pod? Give my monkeys. Thanks, John. It's me, Matt Davis-Adams here, by the way, joined by the former Arsenal Stevenage and Southend winger Adrian Clark. Hi, Adrian. Hello, Matthew. Uh, Clarky, the rose between two thorns today as we reunite Saturday's Quest combo. Uh, Sam Parkin's been on our screens more than Jermaine Genus recently. When you're hosting the one show, Sammy? <laughs> no, that's, that's not possible. Um, I'd like the Channel 4 gig alongside Tim Lovejoy if it's going at some stage. That would be my one. Sunday brunch, you got the look for it. Yeah, I am Simon Rimmer. <laughs> uh, finally, we welcome back Michelle Owen, who is completing the big three, as it's known in the industry. Quest Saturday, Five Live Sunday, Totally Football League Show Monday. Um, Michelle, you must have been absolutely delighted when the Cheltenham v Mansfield tie you were covering on Sunday went to extra time. It was really warm this weekend. Oh, when Alfie May scored in the 73rd minute, I was so happy. I was like, 17 minutes left and they've had about 20 shots. They're not going to get another one in 17 minutes, are they? So, yeah. A little bit chilly, but uh, a nice, unusual hat-trick to complete. Do I get a ball, like on Soccer AM? Uh, Abby says yes. So Okay, great. Look forward to that. Something to <laughs> highlight these dark days. Um, normally, we do a performance of the weekend, but with it being FA Cup third round weekend, I'd like to hear about your under-the-radar performance in the Cup by an EFL team. Uh, Sam, you've gone for Blackpool. Would you like to go first? Well, you have to. I'm telling you, you can go first. Yeah, I thought, I thought quite slim pickings, really. Biggest story, obviously, um, Crawley. But I thought MK Dons, unfortunately, conceded late and went on to, to lose on penalties. So I thought Blackpool gave a really complete performance against West Brom, who are obviously 
got their own troubles. But um, yeah, loads of really good performances. Labala, I thought, was fantastic. Grant Ward in the middle of the pitch. And the two lads I gave a bit of stick to last week, Medine and Yates, combined wonderfully for the, the winning goal and also Yates. Uh, got the opener. So no, I thought they thoroughly deserved um, to get through and expecting better things from Blackpool second half of the season and they could potentially be dark horses. Nice. Um, Michelle, you like the look of uh, of Wickham this weekend. They saw off Preston. Yeah, Wickham beat Preston 4-1. So it wasn't even, you know, like a narrow victory or something that you might expect from a Wickham side. And they were 3-0 up within something like 25 minutes. Preston made a few changes. But defensively, yeah, they were really poor. Poor Jordan's story got hooked at half time. But yeah, from being 3 0 up, they never really looked that trouble, even though they didn't have as much of the ball, even though it was the FA Cup as well. For a side, I thought bottom of the championship, yes, they had that impressive win against Cardiff recently. But to beat Preston, who are a decent mid table championship side at the moment, massive result for Wickham and might do wonders for their confidence going back to the championship at the weekend as well. I haven't really seen much about it, so I just wanted to give them some some credit. And I've bumped in. Well, I say I've bumped into. I've been doing my job interviewing Gareth Ainsworth a few times this season, and he always is sort of smiling, even though they've had quite a tough time in the championship so far, and they're adjusting to life, as the cliche is. And he's always got a smile, no matter sort of what's happened. And I know they're enjoying being in the championship and things, but that result would be massive for him and for Wickham. So I hope they get a nice, nice draw in the fourth round because from what I saw of that game, they were really good and very much deserve the win. Yep, always lots of love for Wickham on this show. Um, Clarky, Abby had, had said maybe Plymouth was the the one we should all be looking for, and that is indeed the one that you've gone for. It is, yeah. No, I just think it's it's a terrific result for them. It, it, you have to put it into context. Huddersfield made eleven changes, having made no changes for a run of of games in the Championship. He, he changed all eleven, so so they played a weakened team, but. Let's give Plymouth some credit here. They went out there and really attacked. Uh, could have scored five or six on another day. And and their away form's been a problem. They haven't won any matches on the road in League One this season. They've got the worst away record in the division by, by miles. Only picked up three points. So for them to go to Huddersfield, to score three goals, to come back from a goal behind on two different occasions, that's going to do their confidence, the world of good, you know, similar to Michelle on, on Wickham. So yeah, especially mentioned Danny Mayer. I know Sam mentioned him the other week, said he's been well, well below par and that's true, but he was, he was on fire in this game. A couple of great assists. Uh, Camera was good. Edwards, the skipper, Apoku as well at the back. So yeah, well done Plymouth. Hopefully it might kickstart some uh, better fortunes for them on the road. Okay, I've gone for Doncaster Rovers. Um, They'd already lost to Blackburn in the League Cup this season, but rocked up at Ewood Park in confident mood. Did for the championship side, courtesy of Taylor Richards' goal, but also some fantastic saves from debutant keeper Ellery Balcom, who they've signed on loan from Brentford. Tom Anderson, superb as well. And given the way that Doncaster are going, this might well be a league game next season. Right, that was fun, but we know why we're really here to talk EFL. We'll do that starting with League One next. At Paddy Power, we know competition for the remote control can be fierce at the weekends. So, in order to give the non-football-loving occupants of your house something to do, here are some of our top suggestions. Go for a walk. Walk the dog. Walk to the shops. Go cycling. Cycle the dog. Recycle the dog. Just go! All very good options, we say. And that's not the only one. If one leg of your 4-plus-fold acre lets you down, get a free bet on all football leagues and all markets. Paddy Power. 
Max free bet £10. Min odds 1 to 5 on each leg on an exclusive exclude shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus begamblerware.org. This is the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. League One headlines, the EFL start their twice-weekly testing for coronavirus. The latest round returned a staggering 112 positive cases. Uh, Wigan's prospective takeover has fallen through. Meanwhile, on the pitch, there were 18 goals across the six games in League One. The top two of Lincoln and Hull both through, whilst Accrington moved into the playoff places with their win over Charlton. And that is the game with which we are going to start. Stanley played the fewest games in the league, just 17 matches compared with Burton's 22, yet it's they who sit in the playoff places after Colby Bishop's brace got them the win on Friday night. And that is a simply magnificent name. I think it would work for for lots of different things. Could be a type of cheese or a, a small village in the Cotswolds, maybe. I'll have half a pound of Colby Bishop. Same in Stilton. Kilo of cheddar, please. Um, the Black Bull Pub. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's in Colby Bishop. It's just down the A457, that kind of thing. Really good. Uh, to the match, Sam, you were there. Accrington Stanley, 17 games in. They're six, only lost once since October. That was by the odd goal in the 4-3 thriller. Is this is this legit? Are they proper promotion challengers? Uh, yeah, to answer your question. I think um, Colby Bishop's strike partner, Dion Charles, is a good name as well. Sounds like mm-hmm. a American crooner, maybe. Or a yeah. Rover dealership 50s, in 60s. Ealing or something. <laughs> Yeah, um, they're a really good team. And I suppose I've maybe been guilty of it in the past, maybe during their promotion from, from League Two of talking about the togetherness of the squad and the, the work ethic. And all of these things are true still about this Atkinson side. But this is a really good football team. Um, they're playing 3-5-2. They play out from the back. The two outside centre-halves get forward. And are really good on the ball. Nottingham really impressed me. And in the middle of those two, you've got Mark Hughes, who's a former teammate of mine. And I, I spoke to him over the weekend. And he says the, the position suits him down to the ground. He can just organise. Um, he's a loud, um, excitable scouser. He can uh, orchestrate proceedings from back there and go and attack balls and defend and do what he does well. But it really complements the other two. Pritchard's got great quality on the left. McConville, we've always known, is a great footballer. And I love the the front two. Just the endeavour, um, the attitude of them both. And so aggressive. Oshelaja and Pierce tried to outmuscle them on Friday. And it almost just spurred those two on. You could see them just rolling their sleeves up. We'll have a bit of this. And they were the big difference on Friday. I thought Bishop's second goal in particular was um, was wonderful, beautiful finish. And... Um, the defence as well, the clean sheets, 8 and 11 now, they're looking really strong. Um, so, yeah, certainly put them down as as potential, well, certainly playoff contenders. Maybe it's going to be too difficult to get into those automatic positions, but going brilliantly. Um, Clarkie, the, the owners of Accrington Stanley rightly get a lot of praise. Um, Andy Holt, the, the chairman, is very active on Twitter and he, he generally has a lot of sensible things to say. Do you think John Coleman gets enough credit? No, probably doesn't, does he? Um, he, He's not that high profile. He likes to just get on with the job, doesn't he, John Coleman? Um, And what a job he's doing on what we know is a really, really limited budget. I think his recruitment's been terrific again. Some excellent loanees, not not least the keeper, uh, Nathan Baxter from from Chelsea. What what a good pickup that that is looking. Sam just referenced the clean sheet record, 8-11. 
he was brilliant in this game as well. So, so yeah, he's got a good eye for a player. And it's clearly that the fire is still burning in John Coleman. He's been around forever, hasn't he? I mean, he's, but, but, but he doesn't seem to be losing that hunger or going stale. We, we often talk about dressing rooms, listening to the same voice for too long. They've listened to his voice for a long time, haven't they? But, but there's nothing stale at all about Accrington Stanley. So, yeah, well done to John Coleman, absolutely. And I echo everything Sam said. I, th- I really like the two wide centre-halves, uh, Burgess and, and Nottingham. Nottingham was great the other night. So, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a professional 2-0 win, that. So, Coleman's mustered then, Michelle, but Lee Berrier not going quite so well, I think it's fair to say. Accusing his players of jumping out of tackles, calling them way too soft. This doesn't normally end well for managers. Yeah, um, we had his post-match, didn't we, Sam, on Quest on Saturday evening and couldn't quite believe it when I heard what he'd said on Friday night. He was asked if Madison was seriously injured. He said, I don't know, I don't care. You've got a player who's jumping out of tackles and then he says he got a knock before that. If you do that again, you're done. It's like, <laughs> it's not, well, it's not holding back, is he? Um, I think he's under quite a bit of pressure from the fans, what I've read, some people saying he's lost the plot and... And, and things like that, yeah, they're not where they want it to be, are they? I mean, if you go back to the start of the season, I did a couple of games, I was really impressed, given the uncertainty they were facing in terms of ownership and, and things. But yeah, recently, since that win against Wimbledon, it's not been particularly pretty for Charlton fans and Lee Bowyer. I don't, if that was my manager saying things like that about me, I wouldn't even want to play for him, you know? It's not, it's not even, it's not even indirect straight at that player if you're Madison you're thinking wow okay I don't want to play for you again you know and if he it sounds like he's never scan or something so it's not like he was making it up and I know things are said in heat at the moment because managers stand there and we go out and we interview them you know 15 minutes after the final whistle and emotions are running high but I don't think it's any excuse to chuck your players under the bus like that yeah, weird one. Um, let's move on to Lincoln 1, Peterborough 1. Sam, you were on Sky for this one. Doled up to the nines, looking very swish. Uh, <laughs> I appreciated the way that you changed that up later. Late night TV audience, smart casual look for Quest. Um, very good. Tax deductible as well, isn't it? Which is the good thing. Uh, yeah, talk, talk, us through, talk us through the handkerchief, Sam. It was an uh, interesting choice. Was it a pocket square or a handkerchief, first of all? It was a, it's a pocket square. I think it... I think it might be my dad's or it could even be my granddad's but I've got a number of burgundy ones so you obviously haven't noticed that it's always burgundy uh, <laughs> in that in that regard but it's got a little bit of um green in it as well which I which I always enjoy and the burgundies to match my shoes which are my pride and joy the, the churches which Danny Gabadon must have had a monitor at Lincoln when he was commentating because he just texted me Great shoes! Exclamation mark. That was it. Yeah, but you didn't even you didn't even wear them on Quest, did you? Or did you? I can't remember now. Oh, you wanted me to wear them, Michelle. Yeah, said, and you were so no, proud of them, but you wouldn't put, put them the Claire Rainers on for uh, the more oh, laid back Saturday night vibe. Only good enough for Sky, those shoes. Can't believe it. It's good to see that the influence of Tony Soprano on your life goes all the way down to um, to your threads too. We should probably talk about the game. Lincoln left ruining George Grant's missed penalty. They would have gone two one up instead. It finished 1-1. And Michael Appleton back on the sidelines after a bout of coronavirus. Nice interview with him on Thursday. show if you've not yet heard it, by the way. Um, also, he could be Alex Neal's cousin, I think. I mean, he's not. He just he just looks a bit like he could be. Um, Sam, Brennan Johnson was a, a big topic of conversation in the aftermath of this game. Is he going to be recalled by Forrest, do you think? Um, I think the noises are that he's not going to be, but... If I was Chris, Chris Hewton, I'd have him back lively. 
Uh, it had been back a couple of weeks ago. So, um, yeah, I think for Lincoln's chances, it's imperative they keep hold of him. That said, they've, they've obviously signed Rodgers from um, Manchester City who came on at the weekend, uh, Johnson obviously having to play down the middle because Hopper wasn't available, which I think had quite a big effect on on Lincoln, a bit of a bearing on the the outcome because I think they're a different proposition with him. But Rodgers um, has maybe been signed just with what you've just said in mind, Matt. And he looks, I've seen him in the Youth Cup. I'm sure you've seen him as well, Matt. Um, not rapid. He's a bit more of a kind of, tr- he's a bit more graceful with the ball. You know, he's got a bit more guile um, rather than being lightning quick. So he was okay when he when he came on. But um, yeah, potentially he's a replacement and not someone to play alongside Johnson. Um, but yeah, I thought the um, the first half, Peterborough, miles in control and, and maybe the, I wouldn't say it was disorganisation, but maybe the way Lincoln started the game was um, a product of the build-up, which obviously saw the manager... Uh, having COVID and, and a number of the, the good players missing as well. So a very good response in the second half after uh, Peterborough bossed the first period. Um, Michelle, I mentioned the the missed penalty. It came after Nathan Thompson's handball, his second yellow card. Couldn't really have any complaints, could he? Could have gone for the first tackle. Yeah, it was, I mean, Sam was saying on Saturday night, it was the first tackle that sort of got him in that bother, really. And he was lucky to stay on the pitch after that. But yeah, if you're ever going to debate the handball or you don't need to debate it with that, it was a massively unnatural position, wasn't it? And then George Grant on the spot, you know, you'd, you'd maybe put a quid or two on him to score that because he'd only missed one so far this season. And well, I, to miss like that from 12 yards, yeah, he's going for the top right-hand corner, which is, I guess, ambitious. Just get it on target, although... Newport got on target and were terrible, weren't they, last night? But, um, yeah, when George Grant stepped up to take it, I thought, OK, you know, they'll take the lead here. But, yeah, misses it. Lincoln not beating any of the top six this season. I suppose it doesn't matter massively if you can beat everyone else, but, you know, let's say they do end up in the playoffs or something like that, then you don't want to go in with that record, do you? Um, but I was pleased, like you said, to see Michael Appleton back. And, and from what he'd said, it had been quite nasty and I think his partner had been quite unwell with COVID and they got a little one so if you just sort of think about everything that was going on for him in the build-up to this game and then to sort of get your team out against a team in and around you it's it's a lot to be taking on at the moment um, and really they should have gone away with the three points when you got a penalty and you're playing against 10 men I think actually you'll look back on it and it's a big missed opportunity isn't it? How will Peterborough reflect on it, Clarky, do you think? And, and where are they at just now? Unbeaten in three in the league. So does that mean that that wobbles behind them or are you yeah. yet to be convinced? No, well, I think there's more to come. But but they're just in a in a slightly, slightly strange place at the moment. Obviously, no game for 25 days. That's that's going to have an impact. Maybe that, that did affect them later on in the game. Come out of the blocks flying and then they, they sort of tailed off a little bit, didn't they? And it, obviously with their best player, Siriki... Dembele wants to leave, put in a transfer request. There's interested parties. I think Newcastle, Fulham, Watford, all sniffing around. So would he start? Would he be left out? And and he did start him. And I don't think he was that good, really. He certainly he didn't look fully focused. And and that's an issue, isn't it, for, for Ferguson moving forwards? Does he use him while he's got him? Or does he just take him out, out of the team? And, you know, they brought on Ricky J. Jones, teenager, and he looked quite sharp so so yeah tough tough decision ahead for for Ferguson there I don't know with Peterborough I think there's a lot more to come only what not scored more than one goal 
more than once in the last eight games. And when you think about Peterborough, you think goals galore. So something's not quite right. It's, it, 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 they've petered out a touch, but I'm sure they'll come again. Let's go on to Gillingham nil, Burton one. New manager bounce tick, Burton winning just their third game of this season under returning boss Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. A new manager bounce usually means a bit of a shake-up to the lineup as well. Hasselbank giving a debut to Hayden Carter, joined on loan from Blackburn and sort of scored the goal. Always nice to have a Hayden in there. Uh, what have you noticed, Michelle, about, about how Burton have changed in, in the couple of games Jimmy's been in charge for? They seem to be getting that, that clean sheet thing rolling again, which was so, so key in his first spell. Yeah, um, 21 clean sheets in his 50 games in charge in his, his first spell. So it's definitely the way he likes to play, which might be surprising when we think of his playing days. Added a centre-back, changed formation, just looked so much more solid. Just looked hard to beat. And that's, I guess, when you come into a club or rejoin like he has, the one thing you want to do is sort of stop the rot, stop conceding goals. They were conceding so many a couple of weeks ago. And to get three points as well, we were saying when he went to bed, on Saturday, uh, Friday evening, what more could you want? Clean sheet and three points. It's um, it's a wonderful start for him. Ben Garrett made some some decent saves as well. They added the centre back in. It'd be interesting to see if he does want to bring any more players that that fit how he wants to play this defensive style, or if he feels he's got what he needs. But it just seems to be a nice nice fit. And if he can, you know, if you look at the fixtures they've got coming up, if you can get clean sheets out of them, considering how they've been playing, was it? Oxford the other week, they conceded five against, you know, in the space of the next weekend with what he's seen. He, I don't think he was in charge for the Oxford game from what I've heard. I think he was sort of back in the <laughs> yeah, stand. Yeah, he told oh, us that afterwards. <laughs> yeah, he definitely swerved that one, Michelle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If they weren't, however. Um, and they conceded four against Wigan. They conceded five against Lincoln. So look what he's come and done in the space of a week. It is quite, quite impressive. Um, and Ipswich on, on Saturday... Uh, yeah, it's this Saturday coming, isn't it? Be interesting to see if they they can keep it up. So interested to see how he gets on. I, I would actually fancy him to to keep them up this season. I mean, it's a promising start, isn't it? Um, Sam, you get the serious question: Who'd win in a fight, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank or Steve Evans? Trickier than you Jim- think, isn't it? No, <laughs> no, he's not. No, Jimmy, Jimmy Floyd Jimmy, Hasselbank would Jimmy, destroy him. Jimmy would destroy him in, in I don't know twenty seconds. Jimmy actually would destroy him by booting. Football's at him from 30 yards, just zinging them. Yeah, that's true. And he'd hit Either it foot. and Steve Evans wouldn't be able to get out of the way very quickly. But I just think the underhanded nature of Evans, he'd be like backing up, oh, no, no, I don't want to fight. I don't want to fight. Kick in the ghoulies and you're done for. You can't rule that out, Clark. <laughs> I think it'd be hard to topple over. Don't get me wrong. I think that he's got that sort of low centre of gravity. You know, not the lightest. It wouldn't be easy to, to, to get the sort of standing count from. But but yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy would take him all day long. Okay, the Athletics uh, ginormous legal counsellor telling me to move on pretty quickly. So let's do that um, to Rochdale 3, Crew 3, the classic game of two halves. Um, I wonder, Adrian, how does a team talk go at halftime when you're 3-0 down? Because Brian Barry Murphy doesn't seem to me like the kind of guy who'd be stripping paint off walls. It, it must have been a bit more measured than that. Yeah, he, he does seem very chirpy, doesn't he? And he's he, he sort, of, yeah, he sort of friendly. Friendly face, hasn't he, uh, Brian Barry Murphy? Um, look, he's, he's had some practice uh, at having to do this because think about their last home match. They conceded four in the first 47 minutes to Gillingham, actually. So that's, that's two games running where they've, they've, they've not started until the second half. So, so something isn't, you know, I'm not 
saying he's not preparing the team properly, but they're starting the starting matches really, really badly. But but look, I think, and for that reason, having been through that Gillingham experience, to then be three 0 down and to have the resolve and character to come back, I actually think that's really, really encouraging for Rochdale fans. It tells you the players do care, tells you they're together with the manager. And uh, yeah, it was it was a really really good comeback. I mean, I don't know what they'd do without Matty Lund. He's not not meant to be scoring goals. He's got eight this year, but he, he's primarily a. I mean, he is a box to box midfielder, I suppose. But but really, he's just there to sit in front of the back four. So so he's been a bit of a bit of a hero of late. So so yeah, look, Rochdale, a very very strange team, crazy form. Last four games, one four, five nil, one four. 3-3. Three, three. I mean, yeah, who knows what's going to happen next. Uh, they've got Charlton, haven't they? So, yeah, maybe maybe expect goals in that one. So, yeah, and, and one other thing on Rochdale and Brian Barry Murphy, he's had the courage to pick an 18-year-old keeper. Now, I don't know if Sam's ever played with an 18-year-old keeper in, in, in the EFL during his career. It's very, very unusual for, for really young lads to be given a chance between the sticks. He's on loan from, from Manchester City, Bazunu, and he's done okay, I think, even though they've conceded a few. So so he's got the courage to to play one or two younger players too. You ever had that, Sam? Teenage keeper? Yeah, Shane Supple at, the brilliantly named Shane Supple at <laughs> Ipswich Town, who I think famously kind of walked away from football in his mid-twenties. I think it was when Roy Keane was there. Just fed up. It's a really interesting story. I think he just got disheartened by, by some things in, in professional football and, and went back to Ireland and done various other bits and bobs, but was still playing. And I actually saw him play. I think it was St. Pat's. I'd have to look it up. But I went over uh, in that tournament last year when there were teams in England, Scotland, Ireland, all playing against each other, if you recall. And I went over and... Um, it was against Sutton United and I digress here. Sorry, everyone. But he saved like three penalties and was unbelievable. Uh, and that was his final season. So he's, he's retired once more, but he was brilliant. And the other one, Christy Pym, now Peterborough, who played a few games uh, alongside me for Exeter. So yeah, two really good goalkeepers and Christy's gone on and, and looks like he's potentially going to go even higher. Uh, before we move on from this 3-3 thriller, we've had a, a question from Q who wants to know, any more on the situation between Cardiff and crew on Perry and G? A rather awkward and morose situation, says Q. Well, I think that the crew have rejected the, the bid out of hand, um, but, but they're, in, they're boxed into a corner. I think that, that Cardiff are likely to get their man here because obviously Perry and G isn't, Available at the moment, he's, he's suspended, but he's out of contract in four or five months' time. And for them to get something feels like it might be better than to than to get nothing for for a player that that I think is destined to play at a higher level. Um, the beard has been labelled disgusting by um, by David Artel, so see so see what he thinks about it. Neil Harris has just sort of battered that off and said, "Look, they're entitled to think what they think. Yes, we are tracking him." That's all I'll say on it. So I think if Cardiff go back with a little bit more money, they'll, they'll probably get the lad. Um, of course, it depends on Perry if, if he wants to push for it or not. But yeah, I, I think he's destined for, for the championship. He's a good player. 
Uh, in the Sam Park in Derby, meanwhile, shot win for strugglers Swindon over pre-season promotion contenders Ipswich. Some sensational goals in this one. We'll get to them shortly. First, though, Michelle, I've heard a lot from the chaps over the last few weeks about what they think about the EFL's attitude to COVID, etc. Um, the camera cuts to, to Paul Lambert, still recovering from it, looking ridiculously ill, sat in the freezing cold. What on earth was he doing there? Oh, I, I said the same, actually, when we were watching it. He did not look a well man, did he? Um... And the fact he was sat up in the stands as, as well, it seems, would suggest that he's no fit state to sort of be on the touchline and, and running things from there. He'd probably been better off at home, but then his conscience is probably thinking, oh, I need to be with the team and, and I need to be helping helping them. I mean, I know you've discussed it. I just find it staggering that we've finally had some mandatory testing last week, which has proved so many positive tests. And twice weekly testing, it should have been in line all along, shouldn't it, really, especially with the way things are now and... I guess when you see someone looking like that, it rams it home, really, because otherwise Paul Lambert would be fit and healthy and it wasn't nice. It was sort of like, oh, this is this is where we're at and no one's sort of immune from it. And we've heard about football players being unwell and we're hearing that more now. So the more testing we do, the better, I would say. And I know there's been disruption for many teams because of COVID, but if that's what it sort of takes to have the testing there, then then that's what we've got to do. I think he... He started suffering with COVID before Christmas, Paul Lambert, so it just shows how long it can knock you off your feet for. But then during the game, that wouldn't have made him feel any better either, would it? Um... <laughs> well, he, he, should, he, shouldn't, he shouldn't have bothered because Ipswich fans just, they've got no sympathy for him. I, I just think oh, they that, that they just hate him. They just yeah. really don't <laughs> like him. And, and I think that, that the Norwich connection is definitely a factor and, and also the, the the style of football they the the town fans just not having him at all so i think he should put himself first really rather than than putting putting the club but but it's a personal decision isn't it yeah go on then sam you've had to that. wait a couple of minutes the, the floor is yours <laughs> seven changes from from john sheridan boy did they work yeah because uh, the supporters have obviously been really down on the team uh recently and such optimism if you Go back to the start of the season, our shows, I was really boyish about Swindon's chances under Richie Welland. So it's been a really limp couple of um, couple of weeks and months, but oh, all the changes just came off, all the new blood. Uh, I, I presume John uh, Sheridan had Palmer at, at Wigan. He came back in. Scott Twine, obviously, was, was wonderful. And all the new signings, Travers in goal. Thompson at fullback from Brentford. I think he ended with three assists, although one of them was a five-yard pass before Scott Twine <laughs> smashed in the greatest goal of all time. Bit of room here, though, for Twine, who took it on. It's genius. Um, which I don't think Michelle was there, but I was. <laughs> you old Twine, yeah. Um, I don't think Michelle was there, but I was just off to the um, toilet. You thought it got over. I saw the uh, the attack building down the left hand side, and I screeched when that hit the back of the net because it looked like (laughs) it was going twenty yards over. It was unbelievable, and have it on good authority from my friend at uh, BBC Radio Wiltshire that it is modelled on Cristiano Ronaldo. This he has practiced and watched and learnt his trade uh, in the, the the Swindon Academy. So brilliant! The fans will love having him part of the team now after what he's done at Newport. Um, they'll have to keep hold of him now because I'm sure Lee Power's phone will be ringing. Um, but it was just really cohesive attacking-wise, but defensively as well. I, I'd really noticed the improvements there 
big fan of Dion Conroy, who, who Matt, you've watched with me at Chelsea's Academy. They seem to be really compact. Ipswich did breach that a few times, but with runs over the top, but they couldn't play through Swindon. And there's a real difference there. And if they can tighten up, then we can be optimistic that they can pull away from the bottom. But a, a great day for um, for the fans and obviously a lot of these these new players that were bedded in the same team. Yeah, it's it's becoming quite worrying how how me and Sam are thinking along the same lines. I was watching Quest, um, albeit I didn't watch it live, but I was taking notes as I was watching it, and I'd written down Cristiano Ronaldo esque that guy, <laughs> <laughs> and and then and then you come and wheel out that line. So so yeah, um, yeah, a bit scary on on Swindon. Yeah, it was brilliant, but those centre halves they didn't. They, they wouldn't fill me with great great confidence. No. They looked a little bit dodgy second half when Norwood came on and, and and they struggled to deal with those those longer passes. But yeah, it was it was a great win for them. Uh, so to the game that was due to be played on Boxing Day, but then Sunderland got coronavirus, so it got postponed. Then Hull's original opponents for this weekend, Wigan, also got the Rona. Incredibly, common sense prevailed. The EFL quickly scheduled this game for the weekend. Obviously, it finished one one because Sunderland were involved. Uh, Clarky, you're armed with stats. <laughs> yes, I've been in touch with my good buddies at Opta because Sunderland just always draw, don't they? It's, or it feels like they always draw and most of the time it's a one-all. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll have a little look at it. So this season, they've drawn nine games from 19, which is a lot, and six of them have been one-allers. Last year, eight of their 11 draws were one-all. So, um, you know, a lot, but not crazy. 2018-19, 15 of their 19 draws, which is just ridiculous, um, were one all. So that may that means that they've had 29 one allers in two and a half seasons, which is just sounded crazy. So I got in touch with with Opta and said, like, they must be miles ahead, and they are. The only two teams within any kind of touching distance of Derby and Millwall who've had 22 one-allers across the last two and a half seasons. So, so Sunderland, congratulations. You are the best at getting one-all draws. Well, well done. No, Clarky, congratulations. That's the best thing you've done in three seasons. <laughs> <laughs> I was absolutely hanging on to every word there. Loved it. You just zoned out, didn't you? No, I loved Johnson's it. Honestly, adapting loved it into it. a PowerPoint presentation as we speak. Sure. That's mental. 29 one-ones. Uh, and and I, I did even take it a little step further. Um, so I wanted to know whether they were comeback one-allers or throwing games away one-allers and uh, I was disappointed because there's, there's an even split so you, you can't really label Sunderland <laughs> one or the other hey, I, I want to know which player has had to endure the most of those one-ones can you imagine <laughs> I was going to say uh, Lyndon yeah. Gooch because it gives you an opportunity to say Lyndon Gooch so let's go with <laughs> Lyndon Gooch um, let's get some odds with Paddy Power here played by our own producer Abby. We're going to have another go at building a midweek acker because at the time of recording, there are some games that might actually go ahead. Uh, Adrian, let's have your selection for our bets, please. Yeah, well, I touched on it a little bit earlier, actually. Charlton play Rochdale at the Valley. Charlton's defending's been poor lately. Centre-halves both at fault for goals um, last time out against Aquitum. Rochdale letting goals for fun. So... Both teams to score, please. I think Charlton against Rochdale. Definitely their strengths like, well, more so Rochdale than Charlton, but but I don't trust either defence. So, yeah, both teams to score. 
Abby, odds on that? Yeah, it is deemed likely three to four. <laughs> nice, brief, factual. Uh, Michelle, mm-hmm. what's your pick for Abbott, please? Uh, I've gone for Bournemouth to beat Millwall. Um, Millwall had a pretty poor result last time out against Coventry, and I know they draw a lot of games. They did beat Bristol City, but they've been all over the place this season. Um, Bournemouth recently have impressed me. I know it was the FA Cup, but nice, emphatic win against Oldham at the weekend. Before that, they ground out a win against very difficult to beat Stoke. And even though they had that blip against Brentford, um, I think... A team like Millwall, even though they can be stubborn and hard to get past, um, I fancy Bournemouth for this one with a bit of class they got on their side to overcome them. Abby, is a, a Bournemouth win deemed likely? It is indeed four to six. So put those two bets together so far. We're on two to one, which is very low for our Ackers usually. So uh, this probably plays into Clarkie's hands. <laughs> we'll see as we roll on. Uh, right, still to come, League Two. But next, transfer. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football League show with Matt Davis-Adams. It's January and that means that it is transfer time. Yes, that iconic glass break can only mean one thing. Stone Cold Charlie Austin is on the move. Sadly, QPR didn't announce his loan signing at 316 like West Brom did. Sam, you must be happy to see him back. I know he's... He's a hero based on what he did in his first spell there. Um, Sir Les is my hero. Let's get that book. A that hero, right. not your hero. Yeah, some of the, some of the younger fans. Yeah. Some of the younger fans. Um, obviously, I, I know Charlie well and um, done some some bits and bobs with him uh, due, our, uh, due to our Swindon connection. So, yeah, I've, I've, you talk about natural goal scorers at championship level. Charlie is, is right up there last few years. And obviously, it's not maybe translated to the top level in the last couple of seasons when he's had the opportunity. But yeah, you, my one concern would be you still need that fitness, that energy in your legs when you get the, the shooting opportunities to put them away. And he's, he's coming, you know, towards the end now. Um, so he's not going to, I wouldn't say, play every minute and dominate games. But if he's used correctly by Mark Warburton for the right games, I'm sure he'll score goals. I'm sure he'll score goals. Uh, and he'll have that, that added motivation coming back to Rangers where he essentially um, fired them to promotion and I think got around 18 goals in the Premier League, something like that under Harry Redknapp. So he should be really excited and, and hopefully he can, you know, rediscover some of his best form because really, really like him. And um, it's been a brilliant story coming from where he, he has done. What about Dykes and Austin? together as a front two because because the last few times I've seen Austin in the flesh he, he hasn't run around much he's mm. sort of conserved his energy if he plays up top on his own I'm not sure how much he'll offer but if Dykes does the running for him is that a potential I don't know I think that's a really good point yeah because I think I think the criticism of Charlie recently is that he's been coming a little bit too deep and trying to get on the ball and, and such like and we've seen that we've seen it with Harry Kane at the moment we see it with older players when they're coming towards the end having 
that that other string to their bow. But Charlie's just a goal scorer. He's one of the best I've ever seen. You know, when he turned up at Swindon, it, it was so natural for him. Yeah, I'd I'd put him well in front of Macaulay Bond. What I've seen from him in a in a QPR shirt, and Dykes has been really isolated. So if Mark Warburton is bold enough to go for it, yeah, certainly those two would be the the two I'd, I'd have in tandem at the moment. Yeah, another loan signing that I've obviously had an eye on the two-time European champions, Nottingham Forest, tying up Anthony Knockart, figuratively, for the rest of the season. Also apparently looking at Kravinovic and Whiteman. I think it's fair to say they probably have to shift a few out before they can bring many in. Um, any others that you've noticed, Clarkie? Uh, <laughs> good name, the, the Watford player that came in very early, Zinkenagel. He, he, he sounds a really interesting player, Adam Leventhal. Um, was talking about him previously uh, with us and, and on The Athletic. Um, Stevenage have done done a bit of business down in League Two, obviously the bottom of League Two. A few experienced players, Chris Lines, Luke Norris, Matty Stevens, all coming in. So I think that's that's encouraging for them. And I just wanted to give a, a little sort of doth my cap to Rabbi Matondo, who's joined Stoke City. Um, he stuck it from Schalke and he stuck on his Twitter account uh, his location, Stoke Alona. <laughs> which I thought was very good for for a player from overseas that yeah he doesn't know doesn't know about these things um yeah well played that man I just wanted to mention Matty James as well because I know he's had a a bit of a tough time of it where he's been and I think he could go to Coventry and, and maybe have a little bit of an impact I think um the Coventry fans quite liked him when they saw him I saw someone say he oozed class and fans were really excited about him, him going there so fingers crossed from that he gets a run and he's always showing for the ball as well. So I'd like to see him have a good run. Uh, Sam, Carl Winchester. Yeah, I think this is a really interesting signing, to be honest. Um, seen loads of him over the years. Never really stood out, but he's very versatile. Uh, Mark Cooper was talking about him being a championship player the other day. And obviously Sunderland have, have taken a plunge and taken him from Forest Green. So I think in a Sunderland midfield, which is very workmanlike, um, he could potentially slot in there. Not a huge goal threat, but certainly a box-to-box midfielder can chip in and create. So I'll be really keeping an eye on that to see how that plays out. Good. More of that as the month rolls on. Next, though, League Two. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. League 2 headlines, three games called off in the division due to weather, which I still just love because it's not because of a deadly pandemic threatening to tear apart the very fabric of our society. Southend, Port Vale and Cambridge all won games and in the Southwest, Exeter's Matt Taylor questioned the commitment of his players after their performance against depleted Sheffield Wednesday in the Cup. As we mentioned earlier, that sort of thing usually goes down pretty well. Uh, tradition dictates that we begin with a South End win. Under some pressure here. In much improved performances of late from South End. And just look at that. What a start for new signing Hackett Fairchild. On his birthday, 
Providing the perfect start here for Southend United. This time it was against Barrow. Rico Hackett-Fairchild stepping straight out of a Dickensian novel to bag the third-minute winner here. A victory that was even more impressive given that the Shrimpers had to play over half an hour with 10 men to beat their fellow relegation strugglers. Adrian, it's on. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, they've made it interesting, haven't they, Southend? I mean, Southend can't drop out of the league. Um, it, it, but it was looking almost nailed on, wasn't it? But but credit Mark Mosley for for sticking with it and and for for just working hard on the training ground, building some confidence, working on the organisation of his team, and and finally he's got a squad to work with now. They're still young, they're still a bit green around the edges, but but they're listening to him and and they've shown good character. I mean that's four home wins on the bounce. Which is which is really good, and and they didn't have a lot of the ball in this game. They rode their luck again, but but not for the first time of late. It was gritty. They you know they held on. They showed excellent resilience. So so yeah, well done. And yeah, great great start for Hackett Fairchild. Scored uh, yeah just after three minutes on his debut. But I just wanted to mention Greg Halford actually, who got sent off in the game. He's thirty six. Um, he was given a month, one month deal which I believe has expired now. So it'd be interesting to see what happens. Um, not a great time to, to get sent off at the end of a one-month deal. Um, so he might be out of work for a few weeks until he's, until he's out of suspension. I don't know. No, no South End and their financial troubles. That might, be, that might be quite a sensible move on their part. But anyway, I just think it was, a, it was a good pickup because he's been out of the game for nearly two years. And he's just come from nowhere to, to get a contract and and he's really helped them in in the last few weeks uh, with the odd cameo role here and there. So yeah, him and him and Alan McCormack have, have added a little bit of uh, nous, shall we say? And uh, and yeah, it's definitely on. I think Barrow, Grimsby, a few of the other teams are beginning to to get a little bit edgy, which is good. Yeah, on Barrow, Michelle. Michael Jolly, kind of the opposite of nominative determinism, I suppose. If he was under any illusions about about the scope of the the job that he's got there, he's not anymore. It's going to be a big one to keep them up. Yeah, I mean, it was the cliche proverbial six-pointer, wasn't it? And not going to do much for their confidence, that one. I look at Barrow and, yeah, just in terms of their form, it's not looking very promising at the moment. Um, Big job on his hands. I thought when they got that result against Tranmere, it might springboard them a little bit, but I haven't seen seen much since then. I thought again going further back when they beat Cheltenham, you're like, oh, okay, you know there are some green shoots here, but they're right in amongst it. And like Adrian said, it is so tight down there now. You know, it's going to be the teams that can put just a little run together just to pull themselves away a little bit. And yeah, they'll just be looking at fixtures, trying to see where they're going to going to get those those results from. They're going to have to tough it out, Michelle, because they came up playing a lovely brand of football and they, they, they want to still do that. They're very much a possession team, but but not every game's like that. I mean, Sam will tell you, I mean, some, a lot of the football in League Two can be really scrappy. And I think I think in this in this match, Southend kind of deliberately made it scrappy, stop start, and it, and it just killed Barrow's style of play. They just couldn't get any kind of flow. What they need to do, I think, is... is have that plan B under, under Jolly and, and be able to tough it out to, to get results when, when matches aren't free-flowing. Uh, Port Vale 3, Grimsby nil was another big game between two out-of-form teams. Taylor, two managers here. Port Vale without one, Grimsby 
with a returning one. So Port Vale get get a pretty thumping win, Sam. That I'm guessing would be pretty painful for for John Askey to see. Have you ever done that? So manager gets sacked, then you go and win the next game convincingly. And if that happens, do you feel a little bit of guilt for the old <laughs> boss? <laughs> that doubtful. Footballist <laughs> <laughs> with a conscience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I always felt partly responsible when managers went. I can't remember it happening too often during the season. And normally I would make a point of, of texting the manager, especially if they brought you in. I remember doing that with, with Joe Royal and Joe was really nice in response when he could have said, I wasted 500 grand on you, you imbecile. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and you owe me some of my severance or whatever. So, no, I can't remember it happening too many times and I think it would just be relief. Reading about the game and seeing what I did, it looked like in the first half it was kind of let's revert to What's got a success in the past, wide players, balls into the box, Tom Pope causing havoc. Um, second half went a bit more conservatively and, and got over the line. So it's a start. And yeah, Frank Sinclair, for one, has done it the hard way, Matt, because he's been coaching a number of years, hasn't he? Really low down. So um, I hope this sacking of John Askey isn't you're going to have a knock-on effect for Frank and maybe he can be afforded the opportunity alongside Pugh, who, who again had a, had a top career. Yeah, he's uh, had to put in the hard graph working with me and you on Chelsea TV, that's for sure. Um, but they won't be getting carried away, Michelle, will they? Because they're coming up against a, a team sort of e- in even worse form in, in Grimsby. And there's another, a new old manager, but but one with a massive task on his hand. I know, and two horrible results to start with. Okay, Cambridge, maybe you can be like, oh, okay, it's Cambridge, you know, they're competing for promotion at the moment. But yeah, Port Vale, that was so big for them because they jumped a few places up. And like I said, like that's that's what a win can do for you with it being so tight down there at the moment. But it wasn't pretty. Port Vale sort of sussed them out, found out how to go down the wings, put balls in the box. Um, and with everything that's gone on at Grimsby recently, you know, Ian Holloway walking out for speculated reasons that he didn't like how the new owners had approached them and what's going to happen with the new sort of majority shareholders as well. It's a time of uncertainty at Grimsby. So Paul Hurst has taken a really tough job there. I think, you know, the relationship between him and the owners will be important, especially if he wants to tweak a few things as we go through the January transfer window and that they're in the bottom two right now. And even though they're only three points away from safety at the moment, they've played the most games down there. So it's a big, big ask. You know, Southend below them have played two less and everyone around them at least has a game in hand. So, yeah, really tough times for Grimsby. And they need to get it right quickly, Michelle. They've got Southend, Scunthorpe, Barrow and Stevenage. Yeah. Coming up, so like, like, this, is the, now. Yeah. <laughs> this is their season, isn't it? You know, yeah, yeah. pretty much. Yeah, so Paul Hurst has absolutely got his got his work um, cut out. They've signed a new left back in the last week. Ex Lincoln City back left back Sam Habergum, but yeah, it's um, it's going to be quite tough because he hadn't played for a while. So to attract the footballers of the caliber they want to get them out of this mess, that's going to be a hard sell too, isn't it? Sure is. Uh, last game we'll have a look at is Cambridge to Harrogate one. Sam, you were you were full of praise on Quest. Uh, Quest sponsoring the show this week, by the way, because it definitely ought to be sending <laughs> us be. some money. Uh, on Quest, where you can see the EFL on Quest every Saturday night at nine o'clock. Sam was full of praise for Wes Houlihan. You can tell us a bit about how he did in this game if you like, but but I'm quite interested to to learn from from you and Clarky if you if you ever in your career had a player who'd been at the top and then dropped down the leagues, like Wes Houlihan has, you know, he's played in the Premier League, he's played international football, then they come into League One, League Two, 
and they really impress you with their attitude. I know you're a big fan of Neil Ruddock from a kind of dressing room perspective <laughs> and being with the lads, maybe not so much on the pitch. Was there anybody in your career you thought, wow, he still really totally wants to be doing this? God, you love putting me on the spot, don't you? It just all moulds into one, Matt. Um, my playing <laughs> what, career. the amount of TV appearances you've done this weekend or your career? No, the amount of missed chances and mundane <laughs> days on the training ground with people coming and going. Um, I suppose at Luton Town, we had the old Dad's Army one summer, which was great fun for me because I was injured and I was like, right, who's next? Who are we getting today? Jeff Hurst, when's he turning up? We had um, Don Hutchinson, Chris Perry, Paul Pesky Salido. And the one I'll highlight here, Paul Furlong. What a guy. First, when he came to Luton and must have been late 30s, surely, maybe even touching 40. An immaculate physique, absolutely ripped, trained every day like it was his last. And I loved his Lucozade Nutrigrain in his wash bag after training every day, <laughs> which is like kind of modern, but quite old school and sweet <laughs> at the same time. That that was what was keeping him going. But yeah, I learned a lot from Furs. I remember him saying to me once when I'd missed the chance and I was the type, especially when I wasn't scoring regularly, when the injuries came to beat myself up about missed chances. And Furs just looked at me and said, what are you thinking about the one in the second half? And I say, yeah, he said, well, he scored two last Tuesday against Gillingham or whatever. Think about them. Why do you think, you know, and he, he had a really strong mindset. Taught, taught me a lot. And um, yeah, so he, he was one probably that was a great example. Um, similar to what Wes Houlihan's doing for Cambridge, if we want to bring it back to current days. That was an enjoyable tangent. Let's see if Abby keeps it in the final edit as we move to our <laughs> midweek acker with Paddy Power. We've had the selections from Adrian and from Michelle. Sam, what have you gone for? I'm going for Salford to win at Scunthorpe. Didn't have a game. I think that Scunthorpe lost to Steve in his last time out. And basically, just because of all the Mansfield stuff with you last week, Matt, and then Mansfield went and beat Salford, I'm just going to back Richie Wellens and his guys to turn it around in style this week and go on a romp home in the division. Uh, what's the answer on that, Abby? That's a romping six to five. <laughs> well, okay. Well, Sam mentioned Mansfield. I've decided that they're my team in League Two for the rest of the season, so I'm having them to win at Oldham, please. What can <laughs> you give me on that, Abby, and what does it do to the echo? Nothing to do with the fact that your dog is called Clough. Uh, <laughs> it's Oldham. not. He's called Brian. Disrespectful. Oh, sorry. That's... Uh, it's... <laughs> <laughs> Nick Miller's cat Nick is Miller's called, cat's called Clough. My dog is called Brian. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's a Clough in there somewhere. Mansfield are oh, eleven to eight to win this one. Put that all together into the accumulator, and we are at fourteen to one for our four picks. Wow. And you can find these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. And prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Uh, right, normally we'd end with a question, but in reverence to the cheese footballer Colby Bishop and Dickens Hackett Fairchild, we're going to have a game of Watford or Notford. Uh, listeners who've been to a live Totally Football show would have played this game before. Very simple. I'll give you a name and you have to say whether they are a Watford player or not. Um, they're either, by the way, a Watford player or a current UK politician. Uh, you get a couple each. Michelle, we'll start with you. <laughs> Henry Wise, Watford or Notford? Notford. 
Watford. It's the son of Dennis. He is a 21-year-old midfielder. That's such um, an MP name, though. <laughs> it really is, isn't it? Abby's very pleased because she came up with that one and I nearly nixed it on the basis people might know as Dennis Wise's son. But anyway, uh, Adrian, your first one. Sunny, blue, low, Everton. Watford or Notford? <laughs> That's too ridiculous to make up. So it's got to be Watford. That is Watford. Well done. <laughs> uh, Sam, James Sunderland. Watford or Notford? Oh, they got Michelle's. Um, James Sunderland. Notford. Correct. He is the Tory MP for Bracknell. Uh, Michelle, this is your final one. Bim Afalemi. Watford or Notford? It's like the reverse psychology, isn't it? I'm going to be. I'm going to go for that. Notford. Correct. He's the Tory MP for Hitchin and Harpenden. Uh, here's your final <laughs> one, Adrian. <laughs> Bailey Spencer Adams. Watford or Notford? Yeah, all day long, Watford. Yeah, former Arsenal defender, so you probably knew that anyway, didn't you? Yeah. Uh, okay, <laughs> kind of cheating. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, Sam, you can, you can put us all out of our misery and finish this off. Jonathan Janogli. Watford or Notford? For the tie, Notford. He's correct. He's the Conservative MP for Huntingdon. (laughs) (laughs) You know your MPs, don't you, Matt? (laughs) (laughs) That'll just about do it for us this week. Many thanks to Michelle, to Sam, Adrian and Abby, and of course to you two listener. George and Ali back here with Extra Time on Thursday. We'll see you same time next week. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and by following at the Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics Football podcasts on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual places, or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football League Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.